Rolling. Renegades. Andre and I had this big idea. Nurses know how to solve shit. Renegades. Welcome to the Renegade Podcast, a revolutionary approach to continuing education for nurses by nurses who are shining a light on the innovators, the creatives, the renegades who are blowing up the boxes that the rest of the world is still trying to think outside of. Bless. On today's podcast, <laughs> don't interrupt me, Antra. Just kidding. <laughs> on today's podcast, we have fondly nicknamed by his dear wife, Action Man, Luke Mathers. <laughs> I love that. Action yeah. Man. Actually, I'm actually not sure it's that fondly nicknamed, but uh, <laughs> I think it's actually more annoying than it is fondly nicknamed. But it's titled for the podcast, though. <laughs> yeah, isn't it? Luke, Luke, do you want to just? Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's. I think Action Man. I mean, if I could have a sweater that said Action Man, I would. Or Action Woe Man, like yeah. spelled W H O A hyphen Man Woe Man. But Luke is a business creator then I would say empire builder extraordinaire. The favorite phrase that I've stolen from him is it's good to be me. <laughs> and it is uh, good being me. <laughs> I know I should have let you say it first because of course you do it the best. But Luke is kind of devoted after he built businesses and sold them. Now it seems to be really devoted to finding well I could read the official thing from his website. It's kind of boring but I will so I don't get it wrong. Get it wrong. Go, go with your interpretation. Yeah, let, let well, the, the official thing says, Luke Mathers transforms how people look at stress using neuroscience, ancient wisdom, and the experience of 20 plus years running successful businesses. He coaches leaders, Olympians, and elite athletes on how to harness the power of stress. Wow, that, that sounds so good with your no, FM late right? night talk show radio voice. I that know. was just amazing. So good. Yeah, all right. Well, we'll just cut to the chase and learn more about Luke later. But now he, uh, well, how long ago was st- Stress Teflon? Luke, Luke has oh. created a unique way of helping stupid people like me follow a formula <laughs> to wake up. Actually, not stupid. I finally referred, referred to myself as a happy little moron. Only because every time I learn something new, I realize how much I don't know. But Luke is kind of like the how to handle stress for dummies guy. He wrote a book called Stress Stefan and then wrote one for teens. I mean, that's what Reset was pretty much that for teens. Yep, which was all, definitely for teens, yeah. All kinds of uh, stories and the story, story behind that. Hopefully we get to that because that was really beautiful. I just learned the story behind that book. But if you're a nurse, don't forget, listening to this podcast, head over to rnegade.pro, that's R-N-E-G-A-D-E dot pro, and you can actually get a CE for listening to this. So well, uh, what I thought was so cool is the bio was writ- written, you know, has helped people in business, has helped Olympians and athletes, and now we get you all to ourselves to help nurses. I know, I totally fair yeah, well- out. Let's face it, those nurses, they cop it from a lot of different angles. They're they're responsible for a whole lot of things and they're having to do, they're they're amazing jugglers. So I'm not telling you guys what you do, but you're amazing jugglers to be able to handle all the things that come your way and to be able to do that with not actually sitting in the corner with a 
thumb in your mouth in the fetal position every now and then. I think it's just a, you've, you're all in, you're all freaks of nature. <laughs> um, yeah, but I, I guess the main, the main thing I do is help people actually get good at stress. Because let's face it, it's not going away anytime soon. So if I can actually help people get good at stress and not only sort of get rid of it when you need to get rid of it, but be able to embrace it and take the challenges up when we've got the challenges coming our way, but to be able to, to just look at, look at stress differently. So, so that's so key because if you think about it, like at least in the United States, all you're reading about and all the social media and everything is how burned out stress, how, how burned out nurses are, how stressed they are. And it's always yep. so negative. And you just said we could do stress better. Like, oh my gosh, like let's just completely flip the paradigm of stress and how we handle it. it sounds like that's where we might be going. Like I'm super excited for nurses because we've just been. Yeah, well, that, that's exactly right. I'm sure that's, that's exactly what we do. We try and sort of, Let's face it, if you think something's bad, every time, you know, say I said to both of you two that, you know, black cats are bad luck, how are you going to live your life with regards to black cats? Never, ever be around a black cat, heaven forbid. No, no fuck right. They're, they're bad luck. Get rid of those things. They're, they're like yeah. smashing mirrors and walking under ladders and a whole bunch of shit goes along with, with, with black cats. And that whole idea of, of black cats is bad luck, which we can often treat something like that as a fact when it's a superstition. It's something that we've made up. It's something that we've constructed. And I think we've constructed a thing around stress that all stress is bad. And so what we've done with that is, is we've put stress in this bucket and we've said, this is all shit. I've got to get rid of it. I don't like it. And I want to get away from that. That thing causes me stress. That's terrible. Don't want that either. And we've got this superstition, this belief that stress is really bad for you. When in actual fact, almost every bit of joy in your life has some stress associated with it. Yeah, you, think about, you think about doing your exams to become an RN. That was really stressful. Having a patient that, that is in really critical sort of need and will die unless you can do the shit that you need to do is really, really stressful. But the fact that you have built those skills and you pass that exam and you have the knowledge to save that person's life that's why we're here that's that's the sort of things that actually makes life worth living you know, Hell even yeah like, even things like falling in love you know the idea of falling in love is ridiculously stressful being a parent holy shit you want to put something in a, in a stress bucket <laughs> chuck fucking parenting in there right yeah all right but you wouldn't be without either of those all right and the hassle is that we've kind of we've kind of tarnished everything that's stressful into this one bucket and said, that shit, I don't want to get rid of it. And let's all, let's all sing Kumbaya and sort of work out ways to de-stress. And I'm not sure that's the best way to do it. Yeah. I would like to, it's such a unique perspective. I'd like to go backward and understand more of why you think the way you do as opposed and why others don't. So I like to start with some version of this question. Because were you always like that or was there something that happened in your life, like an event or an aha that made everything look different to you from one day to the next? Oh, there's been a few ahas over the journey. Yeah, there's definitely been one. I, in my 20s, I kind of, I have, I have a thing I talk about in my new book called Top of the Mountain Syndrome. And that top of the mountain syndrome is that thing that if I get to this, if I achieve this goal, if I 
pass this exam, if I get to this amount of sales in my business, if I become the boss of whatever hospital I want to work at, if I get to that, then I'm going to be happy. We set these goals and we sort of look at them and say, they're awesome. And almost every time in my life when I've been miserable, and I, it's not very often because I live in a place called Lukeland where unicorns fart rainbows and the world's a nice place and everyone's wonderful and all of that sort of stuff. And occasionally in Lukeland, you get bitten in the ass, but most of the time it's pretty good. But every single time... Lukeland hasn't had unicorns fighting rainbows and has been, I've, I've sort of wandered down the misery side of life. It's usually on the other side of one of those mountains that I've climbed. And I think that that's, you know, that idea that, you know, the life will keep sending you lessons until you actually learn them. I think one of them is to learn that happiness isn't on the other side of climbing some mountain. And that's taken a long time to learn. It's taken a really long time to learn. And so back, if you talk about the aha moments you asked about, Karen, I had a a time in my late 20s. So I'd only been married a couple of years. I was a really bad husband at the start. I'd I'd like to think I've improved a little bit. We probably have to ask my wife, Karen, that. Uh, Different Karen. But one one of the things that happened is we, we moved from the UK where I was working at the time and moved back to Australia. And all of my friends were single blokes. And so I just slotted back into single bloke lifestyle, even though I was married and my, my wife had come from, she's Irish, she'd come from the other side of the world. I had an issue through my 20s where I had this, um, actually even later than that, that, that some is good, more is better. Some I is good, that, more is I did that with partying. I did that with exercise. I did that with catching up with friends. Whatever I got into, I just got balls deep into. Yeah, All right. So, yeah, so if it was... Golf, I got right into golf. It was work, I got right into that. So wherever I was, I just got right into where I, where I, what I was doing. And I kind of love that. That's that sort of, but it can wander onto the sort of a little bit over the top side. And we were probably doing that with partying. And I was definitely doing that with uh, marijuana. I was having way too much dope. And my marriage was falling apart. And I kind of didn't notice until it was almost irreparable. And I ended up having a thing called a hypermanic episode. All right. I never, I've never even told you this, mm-hmm. Karen, but I, I had a hypermanic episode when I was 27. Long story, I, I didn't sleep for about two weeks, maybe slept for an hour or two a night. I'd run on the treadmill and write business plans and everything was just, we could do this. So my brain, which is normally going a thousand miles an hour every, anyway, sort of went into fifth gear and didn't come out. And eventually my people at my work looked at it and went, you know, he's always a little bit full on, but this is not quite right and they got some people from a mental health facility to come and they actually listened to a conversation I was having with one of my best friends about work stuff and at the end of the conversation they said I could either come with them to, to a mental health facility and and you know, and be sort of looked after there or they were going to give me a jacket that buckles off the back and I was going to come with them so they were they were my two choices so there I am flying high, top of the mountain, all of that sort of stuff. I was the golden child at 27. I had the, the biggest business in the company and was rocking and you know, thought I was 20 foot tall and bulletproof. And all of a sudden, I've got two big blokes telling me I'm either coming with them or I'm going to get a straight jacket and come with them. Oh and I'm like, holy shit, shit just got real. <laughs> yeah, so that was pretty full on. And I, they diagnosed me straight away as being bipolar. Worked out pretty soon after that that I'm not bipolar. But I basically just had a hypermanic episode. And the only way I actually got out of hospital was to, depre- was to pretend I was depressed. You know, I, I knew what bipolar was and, I, and the doctor kept saying, you know, I think you're still a bit high. So all I did is just acted depressed and the day after that, they let me go home. 
but I still wasn't well. My brain was still not in a good place. But what that did, it made me realize that what I was doing wasn't working and I had to put my marriage and my wife first. And we moved, we moved to the UK. And so we, we moved close to her home in Ireland. And as, as sort of fate would had it, I ended up working at a practice because I was an optometrist. All right. So you think oh, about wow. and really? anyone who, anyone who thinks their uh, life as an RN is boring. All right. <laughs> I've asked, I've asked which one's clearer, this one or that one, nine and a half million times. No idea. So when you said you were at the top of your business, you meant in optometry? Yeah. So I had, I've had a couple of times I've had the the biggest optometry business in the country. So I had no idea. Yeah. So (laughs) that's sort of one of the things about optometrists is a lot of them are very structured and detailed and all of that sort of stuff. And I'm not. And so it's pretty easy to stand out in a place where, yeah, you're the one that actually innovates and does things a bit differently. Yeah. yeah so I end, ended up buying a practice in the UK that was a dog with fleas when I took it over. I was losing money, hemorrhaging, staff were exhausted and took that over, changed a whole bunch of systems, motivated the staff and got them firing. And we, we tripled its turnover and, you know, turned it into this money-making machine. It was just awesome. And so at the age of 31, I sold that, sold the house we bought over there and basically won lotto. I just had enough money. I didn't have to work anymore and moved back to Australia. And you sort of think, yeah, that whole be careful what you want thing because you might get it. I got it. You know, at 31 years old, I, you know, at that, that stage we came out, we, we did IVF to have our daughter. And so we had a daughter a year or so later and, you know, everything's turned up me. It was all great. And about a year, a year and a half into it, I'm like, I just started getting miserable. I just looked around and went, fuck, this is, you know, I'm not contributing to the world anymore. The world isn't a better place because of the shit I do. The fact that I can go and play golf every day and I can go surfing. And if you've ever seen me surf or try and hold a three-foot putt, you don't want to be hanging your self-worth on either of those. And I was. And so that kind of made me think, yeah, I've got to get my teeth back into something else. And fortunately, the company that I owned a practice in England, a company called Specsavers, which are the biggest privately owned optical company in the world. And they're, they're in Canada now, but they're not in the States yet, but they're huge. They're like lens crafters or one of them. They decided to come to Australia and they rang me up and said, would you come and help us sort of roll this out and go and you know, sell a dream to a whole bunch of Australians? So I did that. And so we went from, from zero to 45% market share, 400 stores. We opened 100 stores in 100 days. So you think about, you think about stress. Opening a retail store is a, is a stressful thing. There's Holy design shizzle. Yeah. So we opened 100 stores in 100 days. And it was the most stressful time of my life. But fuck, it was fun. It was awesome. <laughs> it, was just, it was just so much fun. And... Yeah, so we, we, we went from this thing, you know, Specsavers now has the best part of 50% market share in Australia. And it's been kind of like a, an Uber, Airbnb, Netflix. It's been one of those disruptor ones that have come in and just changed the whole landscape. And I was part of that from the ground up. So that was just, that was just amazing. And, you know, so I got to do all of that. And about probably six or seven years into that, I was starting to get bored again of asking which one's clearer, this one or that one, because I was still doing a fair bit of actually testing as well as running my own store, which was the number one store in the country and all that sort of stuff. And I started looking around and thinking, well, that place is going really, really well. 
and that place is a dog with fleas. What's the difference? All right. And you guys could almost think about that in different wards that you go into is that they're in the same hospital. That ward's awesome. That ward's a dog with fleas and I don't want to go anywhere near it. Totally. And I kind of had a, had a look around and tried to work out what was the thing that actually made the difference. And I came up with it. It's, I, I, I haven't had anything that's changed my mind on this yet, but I think the difference is how well the leaders handle stress. How well the leaders handle stress. How well the leaders handle stress. Because stress is going to flow downhill. All right. Stress is always going to flow downhill. And there's some really good research by Robert Sapolsky at Stanford. And he actually did cortisol levels in baboons. All right. And baboons aren't very nice. Baboons are assholes. All right. They're not very nice people. And uh, one of the things I, I do in, in some of my leadership development stuff is we talk about baboon and, and elephant leadership. And a baboon looks after the baboon and elephant looks after the herd. Elephants are matriarchs. So the, the leader of the herd is, is the older female. And she does whatever's best for the herd, whereas the alpha male of a baboon does whatever's best for the alpha male. And so you think about those, going back to those wards where some wards are great and some wards aren't, quite often the ones that aren't are baboon leadership, whereas the, the ones that are are elephant leadership. They're led by the matriarch who leads for what's best for the whole group rather than what's best for her. But and, in, the, in the world of nursing, when most of the leaders, not all, but many of them are women, you're telling mm-hmm. me that women can be baboon leaders. Right? Oh, women can definitely be bab- baboon leaders. Yeah, absolutely. They can. Exactly. They're probably not as good. They're probably not as, I was going to say good at it, but it's probably bad at it. Men are probably better at putting themselves first and, and being baboons than women are, but women can certainly do it too. Oh, and that's it, fascinating. And so when, when, when I looked around and sort of saw that which practices were going well and which ones weren't. The ones that weren't, the leaders were burning out. The ones that learnt, the leaders were, the stress was flowing downhill. And they were developing a culture where everything that was hard was just terrible and we've got to put in systems to make sure things aren't hard anymore. Whereas when you got the ones where the leaders thrived under pressure and the leaders actually got energy from stress, those ones just went from strength to strength to strength. And so what I tried to do is, is in my first book, Stress Teflon, was to try and work out how stress works and then what we need to make it not stick to us. And that was kind of the start of this journey that's sort of a a rabbit hole I still haven't found the bottom of yet. Okay, so there's going to be lots of good stuff in here for nurses. (laughs) Yeah, were were you a born or a natural elephant type leader like with an elephant ethos and you didn't see it until you started looking into those comparisons or did it help you become more elephant to look because if you had the number one store in the country when you were doing it and it was that why because you were naturally like that yeah I think so yeah you think you think about that matriarch who gives to everyone else and looks after everyone else I had a mum who was like that she was just the most loving human in the whole entire world and and she still is yeah I, I think I've kind of always yeah, I've kind of probably always been like that a little bit. I was the one that would always look after people and, and all of that sort of stuff. And there's, there's some really cool research that Adam Grant did at, at Wharton there. He looked at givers and takers. I don't know if you've read the book, Give and Take. Uh-uh. But he looked at the people who are givers, the ones that, that go out of their way to help other people. Those ones end up right at the very top of the chain of success. And to be a you've got to be able to have everyone who's who's working with you and beside you you've got to have all of them their best interests at heart 
Okay, so no, if I, you're, I think if, if you want to have a, go ahead. Yeah. I was just gonna you say, go, so if, if you're a giver type, and you just mm-hmm. said they can end up very often at the top, but also yep. they can end up at the bottom. What very is much the, so. Why? What happens? I think they don't ever put themselves first. And I, th- I think that's a mistake as well. And particularly from, you know, a lot of the stuff I do is, has got a sort of well-being and a looking after yourself slant to it as well. If you'd, it's a bit like that old thing with the, um, when you get on a plane, sort of put your mask on before you help anyone else's. If you're cooking yourself and you're fried from giving, 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 and you're not actually sort of recovering yourself, then you're not going to be able to survive either. There's a graph and you've probably all seen it where it has kind of stress on the x-axis and has performance on the right. And there's like this bell curve through the middle of it. And you've got to find this sweet spot of stress where the performance is exactly right. And you look at work by Mihai Csikszentmihalyi, where he talks about getting in flow, that idea that when when you're in flow, everything's just a little bit harder than what you're used to. And you're you're thriving and you're trying really hard and there's this sort of sweet spot of stress. And I used to teach people that we've got to find this sweet spot of stress. And I think it's bullshit. I don't think we can. I think we can go, travel through it and we can get times where we're in that sweet spot of stress. But I think what we're trying to do in our attempt to be in there, I, I think we end, up, we end up missing it. And so I reckon, I read, I read a quote by, by Schopenhauer, which is a, you know, 18th century German philosopher and he was a miserable old bastard if you read any of his other stuff it was terrible I don't sort of listen to too many really pessimistic old Germans but this one he had a quote that I really loved and it was like that that man swings on a pendulum between pain and boredom all right and so if you have a think about a pendulum swinging back and forth at one end you've got sort of boredom where you're apathetic and don't give a shit and phoning it in and everything's just kind of the, you know, which one's clearer, this one or that one. And then at the other end, you're running around with your hair on fire and you've got a to-do list as long as your arm and everything's, everything's crazy. And, you know, there's shrapnel going everywhere. And I think what we've got to do is deliberately swing between those. And what's happened in modern society is you think about that boredom side of it and no one wants to be bored. Think about, you've got kids, Karen, I don't know about you, Antra, but the yeah. worst thing you hear a kid say is I'm bored. Oh, uh, yeah. So oh, we've yeah. turned boredom into this awful thing we don't want to go anywhere near. Mm-hmm. And I actually disagree with that one too. I think boredom's good. The hassle is we don't like the end of boredom. Once we've been there too long, we hate it. It's uncomfortable. And if you imagine, you know, when you've got little kids, you've got a three-year-old and they're on a swing and you're pushing them back and forth. And every now and then you grab their feet at one end and they giggle and they think it's great. But if you hold their feet there for too long, they start crying. You know what I mean? And I think that that's almost the perfect metaphor for how we've got to try and swing between pain and boredom. We've got to swing between fired up and chilled out. And I don't think we're doing that. I think what we're doing as a society now, because we're so switched on all the time and everything's so full on, we're swinging between burnt out and full on fired up. And we're coming back to that zone in the middle, which is quite good. And then we're going back to burnt out. Mm. We're not swinging to the other side. And I think we look at the things we want to do in our businesses or in our, or what we're doing in our wards. And we look at the things that we need to do to fire up to get stuff done, but we don't deliberately swing the other way. And I actually think that's the, the golden nugget that we need to take away that we need to get really deliberate about how we recharge. Deliberately bored. I've, yeah, I've found, I, and I've started to time it over the last, couple of years 
boredom lasts 20 minutes <laughs> until okay. the good part of boredom well like if you allow it if you don't resist it if you don't like have that oh i'm so bored and pick up your phone or you know distract yourself out of that uncomfortable feeling of nothingness going mm-hmm. on within 20 minutes an idea i've never thought of before or you know it's like those in the shower moments but your kids if you take away their technology say okay we're having an hour free no technology you know an hour with a technology free hour about a little bit into it five you know there's some you know there's a resistance and then i'm so bored and then 20 minutes later after you get the i'm so bored they're doing a puzzle they're you know creating a vi- something they're i mean but it's like ideas come out of the quiet of boredom new fresh stuff so i totally agree with what you just said luke it's like innovation comes from boredom mm. you know that, that true words never been spoken I, you talked about being in the shower you know you can't do much else in the shower other than wash yourself and have a think about things i love 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 putting the washing on the line because it's you've got that monotonous thing of just hanging the clothes out but while you're out there, you, you've got nothing else distracting you, just alone with your thoughts and doing something mundane. And so those sorts of times, we've got to start embracing a few of those. But how and do you, how do you I, do I think, that to a leader at the top, a nurse leader at the top who's going between pain and boredom or even maybe just pain? Well, and I'm not sure she is. I think, I think she's going back to working at, at her peak and then going to be in burnout. She's not going yeah, to pain and boredom I, Yeah, ever. that's what I meant, yeah. And what I'm saying is that she needs to go to boredom. She will actually be a better leader if she goes into a room for two minutes and breathes with a diaphragm and breathes into her mm-hmm. stomach and okay. gets her parasympathetic system to fire up and gets her, herself back to, back to equilibrium. Mm-hmm. If she does that, when she comes out, whatever else she or he does then, they're going to do better. They're going to do more with more intent. They're going to do more deliberately yeah. rather than running on this fight or flight. I've got to do this because the part of our brain that makes the really good decisions in fight or flight comes offline. Mm-hmm. So you're not making really good decision. You're going to defaults. And if you haven't worked hard to make sure your defaults are actually a really good place to be, then quite often those defaults actually don't serve you anymore. Yeah. And and that's something we've got to look at. So there, there's some really good work by a guy down here in Australia called Adam Fraser. And he I've, I've kind of taken his stuff and, and lucified it a little bit. And I, I think that there's three sort of types of little resets we need to do. We do, need to do little micro ones and you do them at different times throughout your day. And they only have to last a minute or two. All right. So a micro reset... You know that feeling when you get towards sort of two thirds of the way through shift and you're like, you've been wound up the whole time and stuff's been coming at you and you haven't actually taken a break and you're agitated. I, I can't, I just, agitated is the only word I can think of. And when I was at that stage where I didn't want to do optometry anymore and I, I wanted, I was agitated and wanted to do something else. Quite often I'd been full on busy seeing patients all day and then come about three o'clock, I'd feel just uncomfortable and angry and just losing the will to live. And <laughs> I used to go and I used to go and drink Pepsi and eat chocolate chip cookies. All right. That was my okay, I'm pissed off with the world. I'm gonna drink Pepsi and eat chocolate chip cookies. And wondered why my pants didn't fit anymore. And I'm like a um, nurse. 
<laughs> What's that? You sound well, like a it, nurse. It, well, see, I actually look. I've actually done this where I've looked around at, at hospitals, and these people know all about health. And, and all so you do is eat candy and Yep. Yeah, because what you're actually and what you've got to do with that is you have a look at it and think something's happened at a certain stage here that's made me feel uncomfortable, and I want to find something that makes me feel comfortable. Yep. And my default thing, my default thing was Pepsi Max and chocolate chip cookies, and one and wondered why I was you know 250 pounds, <laughs> right? And so we have these sort of default habit loops that we kind of go feel agitated. What can I do to feel better? I'm going to eat because eat's the really instant one. It's primal. It's just something that we do. And for a while, that actually does make you feel better. You get a little sugar rush. You get a little caffeine rush. You bet. Let's go. Mm -hmm. But then it goes down and then you get the spikes and the troughs and it all turns to poo. And then you have to jump back on that roller coaster again to make sure you do it. Right? But what's actually happening is what we're not want. We're not wanting candy. We're not wanting chocolate chip cookies. We're not wanting Pepsi what we're wanting is for the agitation to go away. Mm -hmm. And we're looking to get rid of the agitation with something that's actually just, it's like, you know, they talk about sugar as being the most misused and mis and, and non-useful anxiety medication in the whole world. And it's so true. It does. It's like throwing petrol on an anxiety fire. If you're feeling anxious and agitated about it. Second only to anxiety medication. <laughs> yeah, Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. So you have a think about one, one thing that I'm talking about in my new book, which comes out in July, it's called Curious Habits. And eating as a way to calm stress is, is exactly like throwing petrol on a fire. It, it mm. might feel good for a minute, but it backfires as soon as that stuff hits your bloodstream and doesn't work. So what we're actually after on those times when we're feeling agitated is we want to feel calm. We want to feel our brains connected again. We want to feel like we're in control. And we're trying to do that with food. And it's, that's a really curious habit. That's not going to work. The fuck are we doing that for? <laughs> so <laughs> so what, what, what we try and do in the new thing is to actually, and I've, I come up with a three-step a three step process that I talked about in Reset, and it's catch, wait, and reset. And catch is catching the physical feeling that you're feeling stressed. What would yours be, Antra? What would the I physical feel right feeling that... It feels like just for um, people listening only. Where's that? Oh, like right in my stern sternum. It feels um, in your stomach. No, in my right in my sternum, and it feels like okay. it. It feels like. What does it feel like? It just feels raw. Okay. Raw and sort of. Is it? It's uncomfortable. It's agitation. Is it like you're feeling your heart rate, or are you no, feeling tightness, just, or is it not tightness? It's just this like. It's just this kind of a sense of doom. <laughs> yeah, okay. But that, that physical feeling, that tightness in your sternum that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. So what, what, we, what we would normally do that is I'm feeling tightness in my sternum or now I'm feeling like a clenching in my jaw and now I'm tightening my fists and I'm getting really agitated and I'm starting to shake. And I've gone into what I, I, I call it an old brain shitstorm where the first sign that you're feeling agitated sparks a, a little cascade of effects that yeah. you know now I'm tightening my shoulders and now I'm clenching my jaw and my tongue stuck to the roof of my mouth and I I couldn't make spit if my life depended on it <laughs> all right so and it goes into this shitstorm that doesn't that doesn't help it doesn't serve us anymore it might have served us if, we were, if all we had to do was run away from a tiger but we're not doing that anymore so so to actually the first step is to be really aware of what your physical symptom is 
And rather than using that as a trigger for anxiety, and we talk about words like that, I, I get really intrigued by words and talking about things like triggers for anxiety. Like, Karen, once you pull a trigger on a gun, how much control have you got over that bullet? Zero. It Zero. It's gone. All right. And we're talking about that with these, with these triggers for anxiety. We're looking at it, that feeling you're getting in your sternum, Artra. What would yours be, Karen? Just a matter of interest. Yeah, mine was the same thing. Uh, it's right at the bottom of my sternum, top of my stomach, yeah. right there. And it's, uh, yeah. it is a hard to describe feeling. It's like, I want to say tightness, like something's being squeezed. But at the same time, it's like there's something being pushed out. It's just like a uncomfortable. Well, yeah. Funnily you say something's being pushed out. One of the things that cortisol does, and obviously you guys, you guys know a lot about this stuff, so I'm not going to get too... So well, do we want to go but not everybody listening, not? not everybody listening does. So yeah, okay. teach us. Well, you think about, you think about cortisol, cortisol is the rock star of your stress response. Mm -hmm. All right. Cortisol is the, it's the, it's cortisol and adrenaline. Are the, uh, yeah. They're the rock stars of it. All right. And what happens, what happens with cortisol is cortisol is your prioritizing hormone. All right. So what cortisol is going to do, it's going to fire up your fight or flight, which is where adrenaline comes in. So when, when that happens, your heart rate's going to go faster. You're going to breathe a little bit more because you want more oxygen in there. You're going to send blood to the muscles that can fight a flight. So you're going to send blood to the big muscles in your legs and your arms so that you can run or box on. All right. But what cortisol also does, it turns off the shit that you don't need. All right. If you're running away from a tiger, Antra, do you need your digestive system to work? No. No. So what that rushing away that you were talking about, Karen, it's actually blood flowing away from your digestive system. So that feeling of stuff going tightness and going away, what that is, is actually blood flow moving away from your digestive system because your brain and your, your whole endocrine, endocrine system is actually deprioritizing, looking after your digestive system. Anyone that's ever had fibromyalgia, stress head. All right. Lots of these conditions, lots of these autoimmune things that we're you know, giving people steroids for and stuff like that. I think most of them are actually come from a, a dysfunctional relationship with stress and, and a marinating in stress so that those, you know, you, you think about the digestive system. That, that's one of the first ones. You think about the repair system in, in your body. So you've got a heart valve that's got a little nick in it or a little tear in it that needs to be repaired. If you're constantly mm -hmm. in a state of fight or flight, now your body's not going to prioritize that. Your body's going to prioritize heart, just beat. I'll fix that other shit later. When yeah. things calm down, I'll fix that later. And you never get around to fixing it later. It's like yeah. if there was a hurricane coming towards your house, you're not going to go out and paint the fence, right? So eventually, eventually the fence rots and dies and falls over. All right? Yeah, and, so and the crazy thing is it's both, so the adrenaline, epinephrine or epinephrine comes from the SA axis most people know about the hpa axis which is just just for the folks at home just a quick review hpa axis is cortisol and the sam sympatho adrenal medullary they're two different parts of the stress I love response it when she uses big words <laughs> yeah i know hit at parties so adrenaline it's like cocaine why cocaine is so addictive adrenaline is very addictive and if that's if you're totally stressing yourself out and wearing yourself down then your body is going to seek adrenaline for fuel and cortisol the other role that it plays is to release glucose from the cells for energy 
because one once makes you want to run from the tiger and now you need energy to do so. So cortisol, so they work hand in hand, but what's also addictive glucose. glucose. So, so what if we take that then back to what was happening with our chocolate chip cookies and Pepsi and yeah. our little back room that we've got in our, in our wards that has the cookies and the lollies and the sweets, we've got Karen's sugar that's gone into the system that's fueled our fight or flight response. So we've got a massive load of sugar that's been dumped from our, our reserves in our, our glycogen reserves in our liver, and it's been dumped into our bloodstream. So we've got the energy to fight or flight, but we're feeling agitated and we want to decrease that agitation. So what I might do is go and eat some of those candies. That'll make me feel better. <laughs> so what oh, we're yes. then doing is dumping sugar into a system that's already high in sugar. And so we're getting this massive sugar spike, which then has a little lag effect to a massive insulin spike. And you're all nurses. So you know that you know insulin is your fat storage hormone. So basically you're putting it's not just the calories that you're getting from the sugar. It's the calories that have actually got put into the system because of the stress. And that's why we're getting fat. All right. So instead of doing something that will actually calm the farm, we're putting sugar to get that instant gratification of feeling better. And so all of a sudden we're adding sugar to a system that's already chock full of sugar because of our fight or flight response and wondering why we're having to buy a bigger uniform to go to, go to work now. All right. And so what we've got to do is work out, there's, there's always going to be a little fork in the road and we've got to come up with another system of what to do to feeling agitated that doesn't involve throwing, throwing petrol on the fire and, and putting sugar into a system that's already chock full of sugar because then, then we're going to get insulin spikes and the best thing, to, if you want to get fat, the best thing to get fat is have more insulin. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's, it's fat first, but then also type two diabetics are also often stress heads because of that. It's not just that they're eating a lot of sugar all the time. It's just that, and, and they're, cause those spikes eventually make the cells resistant to insulin. Right. So then, yep. and then, then the cells, the insulin receptors on the cells are like, I've heard this before five times today, talk to the hand and then you need more and more. And, yeah. and then we've also got things like leptin resistance. Yeah. So mm -hmm. pe people, bigger people who eat, a lot and have that insulin resistance also have leptin resistance and your leptin is actually there to say look i've had enough i'm i'm full i don't need to eat anymore and that's been yelling so long that it's like the kid that we don't listen to anymore and so we're not actually telling ourselves when we're full so we're eating at times when we don't need to eat anymore so what we've got to do is that that's become our what a shit storm <laughs> it is a shit storm but what we can do is if we can use that, that first sign that we're feeling stress, that, that feeling in the bottom of your stomach or clenching the jaw or whatever yours is, everyone's going to be a little bit different. What I've actually found is 60% of people, it's that feeling you both described, that sort of bottom of your sternum, top of your stomach. That's the first one most people feel. I had one dude the other day in a, in a stress reset workshop that says he sweats through his head. <laughs> and that's how he knows he's getting stressed. But uh, we actually worked out he had another one earlier on. But to actually catch that, I think is really important. So everyone listening, have a think of what theirs is. And instead of that being a trigger for anxiety that sort of says, I'm going to go off into this shitstorm of eating bad food and yelling at people. I wanted when I was getting agitated was I wanted to feel calm and I wanted to be connected with the next person I saw again rather than resenting them for being another person that's coming to see me. And the way I did that was to do a micro reset. So I'd lie on the ground. I'd actually put my phone on my stomach. That's one of the good things phones can be good for. 
I'd lie on the ground and put my phone on my stomach. And I'd actually put the back of my calves on a chair. So my back was completely flat. And all I'd do is breathe into my diaphragm. And if I breathed into my diaphragm for two minutes, what I did was I got rid of the agitation and I didn't have to go in and throw all the calories from things like sugar and stuff in there. And I felt good, which is what I wanted. My default was I was looking for that in chocolate chip cookies and Pepsi. What I did was I found another way. And so I did this sort of, I call it belly breathing or having air burgers. So I just have some <laughs> air burgers and breathe into my stomach. <laughs> I fired up my parasympathetic nervous system and I had my calm back. I had my focus back and then I joyfully went and saw the next person. But what I actually did was as I stood up, I just took notice. BJ Fogg from Stanford talks about a thing he calls sunshine. And if you want to, if you want to add another habit into your world, you've actually got to attach a positive emotion to that habit. So as I stood up after having two minutes of breathing with my phone on my stomach and breathing into my diaphragm, I'd stand up and go, oh, I feel great now. That's awesome. Let's go see the next person. <laughs> and go. And that, what that did, it reinforced that when I get that agitation next time, I'm going to do that because that was way better than the feeling of Pepsi and chocolate chip cookies. Air burgers. I have a couple questions. Number one, what are some other ways besides eating sugar? Do Does it show up? You know, like if that's one oh, way. Oh, great to, question. If that's one way to get rid of that feeling, yep. even though it doesn't really work, what are some other ways that shows up? I'll give you a couple of other really bad ways and you're going to recognize a few of these. Um, Wait, just so I don't feel mentally constipated anymore. Who was that? BJ who? BJ Fogg. And he called it what? Sunshine? What? Sunshine. He just called it that noticing that something feels good when you've done a habit. Call that sunshine. Okay. Okay. I like All right. that. So I actually call it blowing sunshine up my ass, but I'm Australian. <laughs> of course you do. Cause you always <laughs> lucify things to make them more fun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I'm going to blow a bit of sunshine up my ass. Cause I just did something good. Going back to the, the Sapolsky stuff about baboons is you talk about another way to calm the farm and decrease your epinephrine and your, and your cortisol levels is one of the fastest way to decrease your cortisol levels is to pick on someone lower down the food chain. What? You want to decrease your, your stress levels, go and pick on someone who's further down the food chain from you. Have a think of some of the leaders you had that weren't very good leaders. The moment they got stressed, they yelled at you if you were further down the food chain. And what they're doing by doing that is that it's a really maladaptive strategy because they're feeling agitated, they're feeling stressed mm -hmm. and picking on someone lower than them is actually going to decrease a lot of that stress. So the end you wonder, then the person they picked on is feeling like that and they will then mimic that same thing and pick on someone lower than it. And this is why so many, so many blokes go home and beat their wives and hit their kids and kick the dog. Because if they're at the bottom of the food chain where they are spending their whole day at work and they're feeling agitated and they don't have a constructive way to deal with that, the baboon inside of each of us is going to come up and we're going to do shit like that. And it's terrible. That's so applicable to nursing. The sugar, for one, right? The candy bowl and the Pepsi. And then two, picking on somebody who's lower on the food chain. Happens yep. all the time in nursing. Or lateral. I mean, or, just yeah. being a dick to your coworkers. Yeah. yeah. And, okay. and so what that what that's doing is actually making you feel better about yourself because you've actually been able to and it's 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 primal it's it's terrible and it's absolutely awful but one of the things that we've got to notice and one of the things about being stressed stressed teflon is you've got to have honest self-awareness mm -hmm. 
there's sort of there's sort of three three pillars to stress Teflon. You've got to have the safety of the tribe, and that undermines that massively. Mm-hmm. Right? You've got to have contribution, so you've got to have pride from contributing to the tribe. And is the world a better place because I'm in it? If the answer to that's no, think again. Right? And if the answer to that's still no, then we've got to go out and do something and contribute. So we need the safety of the tribe. We need honest self. Uh, we need pride from contributing to the tribe, and we need honest self awareness. And when a leader has that honest self awareness, they won't pick on someone down the food chain because they know that's not going to help. Mm-hmm. They'll they'll accept and they'll catch that thing that's making them feel agitated, and then they'll do something constructive. So if we go back to the the wards that that are really really good and have a great culture, and the wards that are terrible and have a terrible culture. Start looking at it through that eyes, those eyes, and sort of see what the leader's doing in that thing. And are they sending stress further down the food chain or are they blocking it and working out how to way to actually make it productive and how to fix problems rather than just sending it and making it someone else's problem? How do you teach people to have awareness about that? What, to, to yeah. build the catch? The yeah, to build the yeah, catch. Yeah, build the catch. Catch is first. It's a three-step program. It's catch, right. wait, and reset. All so right. How do you, how do you so, teach somebody to catch? Yeah. So kids, awareness is the first bit. You've got to actually know what your, and we talked about triggers before, once we have a trigger, but what we've got to do is we've got to turn our triggers into cues to get curious. Mm-hmm. So if it's a trigger for anxiety or a tr- trigger for bad behavior or a trigger to eat lollies or eat sweets, right? We've got to turn that trigger into a cue to get curious. Mm-hmm. And the part of your brain that, that controls all the fight or flight doesn't have any language to it. Like, it, yeah, that, that feeling when you meet someone and they're a bit dodgy and you kind of, oh, I don't know what it is, but I don't like that person. You don't have language for that. So the, the, the limbic part of your brain doesn't have any language. So by asking yourself questions, you kind of get the limbic old part of your brain and the, and the smart new part to start talking to each other. Just catching that first cue, that knot in your stomach or the clenching of your jaw, whatever it is, what am I thinking? Why am I thinking it? And is it helping? Those three questions are amazing how much they can give you some clarity. And it's just that, it's almost that Viktor Frankl thing of, you know, between stimulus and response, there's a pause. And what you do in that pause is the difference between the really good stuff and the really bad. Yeah. And so what we've got to do is create that gap. And we do that by waiting. We do it by asking, what am I thinking? Why am I thinking it? And is it helping? And then after that, we've created the pause, we've created some awareness. And then the last part is reset. And reset is like when your computer's overloaded. If we all had one of those little circles that spun around and told us we were overloaded, we had one in our forehead, wouldn't it be great? <laughs> if, if I could go up and see you, Antre, you're, oh, oh, sorry, I see your- Rainbow your wheel. <laughs> yeah, you've got a rainbow wheel spinning on your forehead. I, I won't dump this on you now. We're going to go and see someone else. And good luck, good, luck with what, good luck with whatever's going on in your world. Yeah. You know I mean? It'd be awesome if we had those <laughs> things on our forehead. It'd be great. Right? But unfortunately, we don't. But what we can do is we can do a reset. And a reset is control-alt-delete, exactly like it is on your computer. What can I control? What, what do I need to change? What are my alternatives? What's the different ways I, I can look at it? There's a little, for people who can see the video here, I actually have a little logo that I do with my coaching practice that's a sad <laughs> face and a smiley face. And we've always got a choice. 
And by stopping and looking at what our alternatives are, we've always got a little choice with that. What can I control? What are my alternatives and what do I need to delete? So control, alt, delete. That works really well. It's almost a bit like the, the serenity prayer, you know, that kind of God grant me, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the, the char- courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. I kind of, I kind of look at control, alt, delete as being a bit like that. Mm-hmm. that what, and I can control whether I send my stress down, downstream or not. I can definitely control that. I can control what I do after I get the agitation. And then I can get that on a self-awareness of trying to ask the questions like, why am I feeling agitated? Why is this bothering me? And to actually just connect with myself a little bit before I do the actions that aren't going to serve me anymore. What, do you want to have yeah. a breather for a sec? <laughs> I feel like I've just dumped a whole bunch of stuff on you guys. So and it's probably well, you can tell you can tell you do this, you know, it's like just, it rolls off your tongue. You, you know, you, you do this often and you do this well, you can tell. I mean, I, you know, I still, I still am a little curious. There's like still some unfinished business between, okay. between Luke having the hypermanic episode. Yeah. Then Luke getting bored with playing golf and surfing mm-hmm. and not feeling that need to contribute. Then Luke moving back to Australia and getting the board busy the again. Board, the board was back in Australia. So I'd moved back to Australia. By oh, yeah. That okay. Stage. But then you got so, super busy again, just not to the degree you were hyper busy. Oh, before. no. I got, I got busier than, than I was then. My, my business I had here was three times the size of the one I had in England. But you did busy better. Yes. I did busy way better. Yeah. I got, I got better at doing it. And what I didn't realize I was doing at the time was I was swinging. I was going, I was going from being uh-huh. full on fired up and making sure when I was, when I was chilling out, I was doing it on purpose. I was doing it with things I love and doing it with things I, I really enjoyed. And so I was that, that idea, I, I love having conversations with people's take on work-life balance. Yeah. I'd love to hear both of you, Karen and Antra, what's your take on, on work-life balance? What is it? And oh, well, my, get it. Andre, you want to go first? She just palmed um, that off onto you and dumped you there, I didn't know, she, Andre? Well, I mean, <laughs> I, I have to remember, you know, because like I'm such a, oh, I know, I know. <laughs> I have to just go, let someone else go first, Karen. <laughs> okay, you can go first. <laughs> I wanted to think about it for a minute. Because, Luke, what you're talking about for me is, you know, all of the kind of this, all of this stuff about nervous system dysregulation and how, what we do to soothe ourselves in those moments of agitation. Like, I mean, I was a overthinker ruminator, like st- I was stress head. Like I got mm-hmm. cancer. I got really ill, blah, 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 like on and on and on. And, and, you know, you, you pointed to so many things, but the thing that has changed for me is this idea of awareness and catching and then asking those questions what like why why do I feel this way like you're kind of like talking what I've been really working on over the last six months because you know when you yeah, get nice. cancer you don't really have any other alternative unless you just want to go to the great rainbow in the sky <laughs> right <laughs> like you get busy living or you get busy dying and so mm. and so I I that piece of being busy 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 and stress 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 and no kind of like ever downtime like I was always where you said like either in pain like 
and then here. Like I was never over on boredom, yeah. really, because we're I, bouncing I, off a wall. We're not. Yeah, we're not swinging exactly. to the other right. end. I wasn't swinging to the other end, and now, like this weekend, just this weekend, I literally did nothing except some self care stuff. Nothing, and it was like, yeah, nice. wow, like like it's almost uncomfortable because I. I don't quite. I oh, know it's not almost uncomfortable, for, particularly for mums. Are you a mum as well? Yeah. Are you a mum, Antra? Yeah. Yeah. I particularly am. for mums. This is yeah. spectacularly uncomfortable. And yeah. you've got to get over that shit. Totally. Um, put your mask on before you help someone else. Totally. And that, and, and so that's been that, like me starting to, you know, just now, like it's okay. Like it's good to do nothing, to just be at home and, Ah, maybe I'll go to the grocery store. Ah, maybe I won't. Like, you know, like there's just not this like constant. But even that, the choice, the choice that you choose, the choice that you chose then was maybe I'll go to the grocery store because I'll look after everyone else. Right. But it's a choice. Yeah. I'm I'm still, we'll we'll get into that a little bit more, but what, so what's your take now on after going through cancer and going through all of those things, what's your take now on, on what balance looks like? balance looks like what I want to do right and the how I'm going to serve and is it in a way that I that I feel fulfilled so I want to be doing something in my work that's fulfilling and that I love and also then being able to do nothing or to engage in stuff that makes me curious you know reading or writing or so I guess that's the balance and it's kind of like my life like I don't want to have work is stressful and then okay but i'm going to balance it over here with you know some self-care activities and i want it to just be like oh whole okay what's your take karen i would like to take the term work-life balance and blow it up (laughs) Uh, bullshit it it doesn't it doesn't actually exist but it's still a a good conversation to have Um, well for me it's I I discovered in my in my journey. I also want to blow that word up too. Journey. We can pivot from that. Yeah. <laughs> that or my sort of synergized around it, or use some other wanky yeah. term. That <laughs> my happy trail. Anyway, the biggest stress, bad stress in my life, the stuff that was creating burnout and then very ill health and all that was only because I wasn't bringing me to everything I was doing. I was doing everything I did, whether it was my motherhood or being a nurse or my job. I wasn't doing it as I am. I was doing it as the world told me I ought to. So whether I I was only bringing half of myself, you know, and it was always this friction and there was always this being out of integrity. So to answer your question, try to put a period on the end of this sentence is whether you're working or whether you're parenting or whether you're bored bringing yourself you know to all of those areas and as an integrated whole like Andra said you are you're kind of unfuckwithable to stress you know or, or you see it as a happy part of everything you're doing you know what I mean so it's not a balancing the two it's bringing all of you to everything so I guess when you're when you're being yourself, when you're being congruent to what the true Karen is, yeah. I think what you, I the way I'm hearing that, and tell me if I if I'm hearing it right, is that what that does is plugs energy leaks. 
that when I'm not having to be forced to do things because of other people's expectations, then all of a sudden I, I have more energy because I, I'm in alignment. I'm congruent with, with who I want to be. That's yeah. Like you're plugged into the mains. You're not just draining a, a, a finite reservoir of energy, right? Yeah, um, nice. You're just, you're just, yeah, um, you're plugged in and I'm not good at it all the time, but I know yeah. the difference. Yeah. And it'd be really cool to actually look at getting really clear about what it looks like when you're not doing that. And, and, and use that as your cues to get curious. So what does it look like when I'm not bringing my whole self there and actually have them as little trigger points or, or cues to sort of say, okay, let's have a look at this. Why am I being, why am I behaving that way? What story am I telling myself that's sending me that way? Yeah. But that, I, get, that whole, I, I get insecure and I get, I get needy and insecure. Okay. What am I thinking? Why am I thinking? It? Is it helping? Yeah. yeah. Okay. I love it. Am I good enough? And Almost in doubt. One of the things we look at, particularly in that am I good enough question is we look at our gaps. We look at the things that I'm not good enough from here to here, but we don't look at all the things. We don't test ourselves backwards. We don't look at all the things we are good at. So, well, but so just, speak, just to go back to that work life. You're speaking a lot to like what you want, right? And yeah, massively. Orienting and pivoting people away from the shitstorm and focus and pivoting them to a focus on what, what they want. And that like changes everything. Is that massively kind of, it's it's massively. yeah in, in my in my coaching practice it's the first thing i do we we always make when i do individual coaching group coaching one of the things the first thing we do is we come up with what we call people's identity goals and we're gonna we're, we're whizzing on a few tangents here i just want to come back to, to <laughs> yeah, you put life. a period on the end of the work-life balance sentence <laughs> yeah okay sorry <laughs> my, my take on work-life balance is basically that you've got energy for all the different parts of your life that are important it's not about I spend eight hours at work and four hours with my kids and an hour with my husband. It's not about any of that. It's just you can bring your true self like you were talking about before, Karen, mm-hmm. and you can bring your true self to every part of your life that's important and you've got energy. It's not like your family's just getting the dregs that are left over because you're exhausted from work. So if you can have energy for every part of your, your life, you've got work-life balance. I don't give a shit how you spend your day or what you do. Mm-hmm. You've got energy for all the parts that are important in your life. You've got work-life balance. Well and said. We've got to start looking at that and how to, and how do we do that? And if we go back to that sort of swing model of, of swinging between, between chilled out and fired up, you know, we've got to do micro, macro and mega resets. And the, the micro one is something like the, the air burgers, the lion, lion, the ground, or just sit in, sit in a chair and close your eyes and breathe into your stomach. Yeah. Like you've got 610 muscles in your body. All right. One of them has a direct line to the hypothalamus, which is going to control all of that fight or flight shit. It's going to control the whole life. All right. And that muscles your diaphragm. All right. So imagine if you had a little button on the back of your hand and when you felt like you you were going to get that little swirl on the forehead again, or if you're feeling overwhelmed, you could press that button and calm the farm. Would you press it? Calm the farm. Yeah. Yeah. You'd be pressing the shit out of that. You'd be like a, You'd be like a pensioner at a pokey machine, just or slot machine, <laughs> just pressing that thing like it's going out of fashion. Oh All right. We've got a button that does exactly that. All we need to do is to breathe into the diaphragm. All right. And so by stopping and breathing into our diaphragm, that actually just stimulates your parasympathetic nervous system. It calms the farm and it actually can level things off, but we don't do it often enough because it sounds wanky. It doesn't sound like it'll do anything, but it really does. So that's a micro reset to stop and just breathe into your stomach for even 30 seconds to two minutes. Anybody can do a macro, that. 
Anyone can do that whenever yeah. you like. You know, we've got enough time to scroll, infinitely scroll on social media. You've got enough time to breathe into your stomach yep. for two minutes. Yeah. All right. So that, that's a micro reset. The ne- imagine like the three little bars on a, on a battery thing like you see on your phone. Like we care more about whether we charge our phone batteries than we do on whether we charge ourselves, which is just ridiculous. But a macro reset is something that might take an hour or two and it's the thing in your week that you thoroughly love. Like I love surfing, I love golf, I love cycling, I love walking on the beach, I live just near the beach and I love walking on the beach. And there is no way I'm going to go too long without doing some of those things that I really look forward to and really love. And one of the other, one of the other problems that we've got with people like nurses and particularly nurses who are mums is that they, what are the things that they actually really love? Are they clear about, I really love doing this. If I asked you, people listening, if I asked you that, what would your answer be? And there's a lot of people that are spending their whole time in service to everyone else and using all of their energy for everyone else that they actually don't even know what that is. They've totally gotten out of touch with what they love. There's yeah. no time for that. What do you yeah. love? What brings you joy? What lights you up? What, can, what are you thinking? Cool, I get to do that today. And you're just frothing about it. I love frothing. Frothing's awesome. Where you're just so excited <laughs> about everything. You can't wait to get doors. <laughs> I love you. Right. You're amazing. Um, what gives you so, a soul boner? Yeah, soul boner. You, you said that to me the other day. Best line ever. <laughs> so that that's your macro reset. That's the one that that you've got to do at least once a week. I, do, I think you've got to do it more often than that. But at least once a week, that thing that I do it for me because I love it. It might be it might be fishing. It might be going for coffee with your girlfriends. It might be whatever. All right, but that thing you really enjoy. And the last one, that the way to get all three bars in your little picture of a battery is what you've got to have a mega reset. And a mega reset is an entire day with no agenda, nothing to achieve and no one relying on you. Just have a think about when either of you had that last. Yesterday, Antra. <laughs> pretty good so would you have yeah have a think about that most people don't and they feel guilty if they do that oh no i've got to change the i've got to vacuum the carpets i've got to i've got to do this i've got to look after the kids just where if you actually went to you know either your partner or your parents or some friends and say look i really need this day that's just a mega reset and i really need a day i have no responsibilities if i want to go to the movies i'll go to the movies if I want to go to the gym, I'll go to the gym because I like going to the gym. But if I, I'm not going to the gym to achieve something. So a day with, with no agenda, no achievements and no responsibilities. And that's a mega reset. So if we want all three bars to pop up in our, in our little phone battery in our, you know, inside ourselves, we've got to do all three. We've got to do the micro resets. We've got to have the mega reset, which is a few hours, a couple of hours that we're looking forward to. And then once a month, we've got it. So it's sort of daily, weekly, and monthly. And once a month, we've got to have a full blown, I'm going to plug my phone in full on overnight and recharge the whole battery. And I think if we can do that, we can have resets again and get everything swinging. And the more we swing, the more we go through that peak zone where we're actually performing at our best and doing really, really well but we can't park ourselves in there and try and stay there. It's impossible. I used to teach that for ages. I taught people to do, to do that. And it's just bullshit. You can't, you've got to learn to swing. And the hassle is we've been swinging where we come to peak performance and then going to burnout. We've got to do the other end. We've got, we've got to go to the you know, shopping house boredom. Mm. 
this is fa- it's yeah. just it's so fascinating because I was just doing uh, research to I was doing a webinar on the ultradian rhythm. And one of the signs of ultradian stress is that feeling that you're talking about that anxious feeling that you know, you're because your rhythm is on a 90 to 120 minute cycle, mm-hmm. the ultradian rhythm. And then when you're getting toward a, a dip, one of the signs is a seven mile stair. Can you just explain ultradian rhythm to me? I'm sure. Writing the circadian rhythm, but I don't know enough about ultradian. Oh my gosh, I, I love this. We should talk. Yeah, briefly. I, lo- so, uh, I love it when the person who's meant to be the expert doesn't know stuff. Isn't that cool? Um, <laughs> I love I love talking to you. Like, how many times have we had like two hour long conversations? Because it's just like cotton candy to your brain. <laughs> yeah. I love talking to you. So there's a day night cycle, circadian, and as you mm-hmm. know that in the nighttime, there's a 90 minute sleep cycle, 90 to 120 yep. minutes, right? So the twilight REM, then you go down to that deep healing sleep and then you come up yep. and then you might wake up again and then hopefully you get four or five in, right? Yep. That same 90 to 120 minute rhythm goes on during the daytime. Okay. So you wake up, say 8am. I know you're probably five, four for you, but anyway, got to get the ways. So just say average person for, for the story, yep. you wake up at eight, your cortisol is naturally highest 30 it's minutes after you wake roof. up, huh? Mm-hmm. Yep. Natural, you know, your body's nature's caffeine. Here's some energy to start you on your day. And then the rhythm starts. So wake up at eight. Your first one's going to be about nine 30, between nine 30 and 10. Mm-hmm. You're going to have that. That's where union breaks are. That's where people go get the cup of coffee. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And you're resisting the thing. Well, during the trough of the ultradian cycle is when cells divide, detoxify, genes okay. rep- replicate, nasal dominant switches right to left, left to right, brain dominant switches opposite those, neurotransmitter hormone buckets are replenished. Your body has, right. it's, and it's all on this cycle. Your body needs 20 minutes. That's how long the two fill all those things up. You get tired. And when you resist the tiredness, you get agitated. And that's when you're most vulnerable to those things. And I love how this is all coming together, Luke, because I was just studying. Yeah, your body's telling you to swing. And your yeah. micro, what did you call it? A micro reset? Micro, macro, and mega reset. Yeah. So yeah. the micro The micro re- resets is the middle one. The micro reset that you just told is an ex- a perfect example of what to do during an ultradian drip dip as well. So after this podcast, we'll talk yeah. more about that because I see there's so much synergy in, in what you're saying. And if you don't, your body suffers consequences compounding later in ultradian stress. And I also yeah, love nice. your word. So I'm squirreling off into another thing because I want to make sure we get it in. I love your word progrestination <laughs> because I do that. That's like, that's me so much, it, you know, like you're we, not we totally. Probably should, yeah, we I probably what? should talk about procrastination is a word I made up. It's, it's like a combination of procrastination and progress. And it's that thing where there's something that you really need to do that if I do this, it's going to completely transform what my business is or what I do or whatever it is. And I don't quite know how to do it. I don't quite have the skills. So what I'm going to do is do this other peripheral thing that's still kind of important, but it's nowhere near, it's not getting me any closer to where I need to be. I did it for a few years where I just, just learned more. 
I just I got to learn more. I got to know more about that. And I wasn't actually going out and sharing the stuff I'd hadn't learned already with anyone else. All right. And all what I was doing, I was saying I was going to write a book. And all, well, I actually wasn't writing a book. I was just reading a lot of other people's books. All right. And so what happens is procrastination has a little element of guilt in it. And guilt's actually a wonderful thing because guilt actually teaches us some lessons. And what I call procrastination is where you're doing things that actually don't involve any guilt, but they're also not getting any closer to where you want to be. And so you're not getting that guilt to actually give you a kick up the ass and tell you to change. And so we're all making stuff up about, oh, yes, no, I'm working really hard when we're really spinning our wheels and we're not actually getting any closer to where we want to go, but we're procrastinating. We're, we're just doing the things that actually kids ourselves that we're, we're getting closer, but we're not actually moving any closer to where we want to be. Yeah, I would say if you don't take those mega resets, you got to pay the piper somewhere. And people yeah, who find, I, I see that for myself and what you were talking, if I don't take a mega reset, which I don't enough at all. Mm-hmm. I procrastinate that. more because mm-hmm. there's something about our brains and bodies that needs the break. You can't focus on what you need to focus on if you're not taking your resets because your body, your brain will make you take them and usually your work suffers. You know, you're eas- more easily distracted. You're not as productive. And mm-hmm. I, that makes exactly. so much sense. Mm-hmm. So to, to, to sort of work out what your swing looks like, how does it, how does it look like? And use that that sort of micro, mega, and ma- micro, macro, and mega resets to sort of say, am I putting those in? Am I putting them in my diary? I have a day off on Thursday, and that day off I clean the house and I do all of these things. What if that day off you went to the movies and walked on the beach and just got a book that you've been meaning to read for ages and just had no agenda and no one calling on you and nothing that has to be achieved, everything that, everything that you do is what you want to do. You know what I found uh, when that's I started a mega to do that? I, when I started to do that, I found out how much I actually liked myself. And that was huge for me. It was like, oh, like we talk about self-care all the time. We kind of give it lip service. And in the nursing world, we say it all the time, like take time for yourself and do things that, you know, make you happy or bring you joy. I was like, okay, sure, whatever. I got two little kids and I got a full-time job. And so sure, I'll take a bath on Thursday nights. Yeah. But when I actually started to intentionally do that, I'd go on walks, really long walks. And I would just get this sense of like myself that I never even knew existed. And this sort of, like, I started to really like myself, like who even, I didn't even know that that, uh, that was a thing. Like, again, we give it lip service all the time, but like, I was like, okay, whatever, that's stupid, but it's true. And I, and I saw so much in that, just giving myself some time to do something just with me. And I think nurses, I mean, I won't speak for all nurses, but I can imagine that there's, you know, we always give, 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 and we care, care, care. And so we don't even know what that looks like for ourselves, let alone doing it. Right. It just Mm. seems like, okay, I'll check that off, off on my, on my list of things to do, but what, you know, it's kind of circling back to what do you want and can you focus on what you want? And then do you like yourself? Like, can you fall in love with yourself? And that's what I found doing what you're talking about. Cause it was intentional, intentional mm-hmm. in, this, in the fact that I was going out and doing something I loved. And then I discovered, Oh my gosh, I think I'm kind of a cool person. Yeah. <laughs> but it's that, that sort of stuff. There's some really cool research by Andrew Huberman at, at Stanford and Andrew Huberman's awesome. If anyone wants to follow someone 
interested in neuroscience and stuff. But one of the things he talks about is that you've got to have the things that you want to do has got to have duration, path, and outcome. When you know both of those three, all of those three, de-stress is a whole bunch of your world. So if you know for the for the next hour, I'm going to study how the kidneys work and at the end of it, I'm going to know how kidneys work, my duration, path, and outcome. And we do that for things that we have goals towards, mm-hmm. but we don't do that for how we recharge. Yeah. And I think we should do that really deliberately to have yeah. duration, path, and outcome. My daughter used to struggle a little bit with, with feeling anxious and, and getting stressed. Notice I said she felt anxious, not she has anxiety, which I hate it when people say that. But what she works out is that if she goes and watches two episodes of either Friends or Big Bang Theory, and she can pretty much say the words to all of them because she's watched them that many times, then that will actually empty her stress bucket and she can get back into doing a study or doing whatever she's going to do. So she's now really deliberate. I need to watch two episodes of, of Big Bang Theory now. And so it's a duration, path, and outcome. The duration is 40 minutes, if, if that. Yeah, so it's 40 minutes. The, the, the path is I'm just going to watch this, this show on TV. And the outcome I want is I've emptied some stress out of my bucket. I've chilled out now. I can actually go and do what I want to do. They did some really cool research out of University of Tel Aviv that they got people to do different ways of recharging. Mm-hmm. And they then looked at how, how effective they were after the recharge and how long they could go again before they felt like they had to recharge again. And they got one group to walk in nature and they got one group to scroll on Facebook. And the scrollers on Facebook were nowhere near as effective when they came back and they they quit like 60% earlier than the other ones. So what we've got to do is work out how we're deliberately going to empty our stress bucket so we've got room to keep going again. And Chloe's version of, you know, two episodes of Big Bang Theory, that really works for her. I'm much more likely to go down and look at the waves or go for a walk on the beach, mm-hmm. all right? But to actually get deliberate about that, know your duration path and that's sort of, it's almost like having someone pushing your swing, so making sure you go all the way to the other side rather than banging into that wall we were talking about before. But to get deliberate about our duration path and outcome of how we're going to do our three levels of reset, I think that can make a really big difference and get a swing to both ends of that scale again. There's so much, there's so much in this Luke for nurses. Oh my gosh. We got to like plaster his books on the website. (laughs) I mean, oh my gosh, I love this. Well, you can actually, you can actually download digital copies of the book for both my books for free off lukemathers.com.au. So Uh, If anyone wants those, they're they're free. Making money from books isn't, isn't, I've done pretty well testing people's eyes, so I don't get too worried about that. So if anyone wants to read them, they're more than welcome to. You can get them on Amazon and stuff as well if you want to pay for them. But uh, if they want it for free, they can download a digital version of that. Cool. Awesome. That's a great resource. How else would they get a, (laughs) kind of like the perfect arc. (laughs) We're just about coming up on time. (laughs) I mean, we might have to do part two. No, we have to do part two. I feel like there's more. Well, yeah, I would, I would say. I would say I'm sure you've you have you've turned kind of turned your courses or your books into courses, right? Or coaching yeah. and courses. How how can people work with you? How do they get a hold of you? Uh, until we get a hold of you? <laughs> yeah. All of that you can find out about it at lukemathers.com.au. Most of the ones I do at the moment, we've actually been doing in-person ones in Australia for a fair while now. So a lot of them have been in nice. person. But um yeah, I could def I, we could definitely run one and we, I call it a stress reset and the stress reset basically 
works out how and it's almost like trying to build stress-free teams it's a really good one for for sort of units in a hospital or something to work because we look at we look at my stress our stress and then the bigger picture and if we can look at all of them and how we communicate with each other the sort of you know things like drama triangles and i have a I have a lot of things that give us awareness on how we're actually communicating and whether that communication is helping or not. Are we sending stress downstream and how to catch <laughs> yep. that sort of stuff? But a lot of, yeah, a lot of it comes back to, to actually, you know, those, those three pillars we talked about before. If we've got to, to, to have anything to thrive, we've got to have the safety of the tribe. We've got to have pride of contributing and we've got to have that on self-awareness. And once we build those three, there's a whole bunch of other routes that come off both of those that, that will actually give us really practical ways, like catch, white and reset, really practical ways to actually make sure we, we look after ourselves and swing between fired up and chilled out. And when we do that, we're actually way better at all the things that we do. We give way better patient care. We go home with the energy to still be a good mum or dad or husband or brother or sister or whatever it is we've still got energy for all the things that we like and let's face it no one's going to go no one's going to you know lie on their deathbed and say i wish i had have you know done these things more and and get it right but the stress reset program does a lot of that and it teaches you all of those skills and it's it's practical with a bit of nerd thrown in there as well yeah i some of your lucisms you gotta look <laughs> you just i just saw the the difference if anybody's asking what would i get out of that when you're at work you're performing the same task say it's you know three in the morning or four in the morning and you're passing out meds mm-hmm. and the feeling the difference between feeling resentful and drained and i just want to get to the end of the shift to doing the yep. exact same task the exact same behavior but the feeling is contribution i'm helping you know when you go into the patient's yeah. room you okay honey you know because because actually the focus isn't on you anymore it's actually on them that's mm. the con- contribution focus so what you're talking and, and for patient safety too i love you know the stress reset for not only to make yourself stress tef- teflon to make yourself have the energy to take to work and to your life but also for patient safety and all the implications so mm-hmm. Yeah, we it's are. Huge. We're not done with you, Luke Mather. Yeah, we need a part two. We can definitely do it. We haven't. We haven't done too much of the 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 stuff from my new book, so we can um we can we can play with that for as long as you like. We've got heaps more we can talk about. Okay, yay! It'll be good. We have to do part two. It was like we interviewed my uncle, who's a, a pathologist for fifty years, and at the very end, he was like, "Oh, we didn't get to talk about the liver, <laughs> so we have to do a part two. Right. So, yeah there we go yeah. thank you so much all amazing. right thank you Perfect. luke yeah. for any My pleasure, don't, guys. don't forget nurses go to rnegade.pro rnegade.pro if you register there you can get a c for this yep. for the gift of luke mathers renegades